Today on Regionally Speaking, November recognizes National Family Caregivers Month as well as National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. So we are speaking with local organizations that provide support to help seniors remain in their home for as long as possible. Levon Jared is the director of the Vazia program, a collaboration between Franciscan Health Dyer and the Lake County Superior Courts. She tells us how they prepare community volunteers to advocate for the voiceless. We'll also hear from Erica Kirkus with VNA Hospice. The organization supports families during the end-of-life experience. And later, the Alzheimer's Association offers tips to help give caregivers support. All of that and more on this edition of Regionally Speaking, after the news. Northwest Indiana aging and or incapacitated adults unable to care for themselves or make decisions on their own face a precarious situation. And residents afflicted with conditions such as dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and mental illnesses are at a high risk for exploitation without a trustworthy guardian to ensure they receive the care and support they need. To protect the community's most vulnerable people, in 2001, the Volunteer Advocates for Seniors and Incapacitated Adults, or VASIA program, was started, a collaborative effort between Franciscan Health Hammond and Lake County Superior Courts. We turn now to LaVon Jarrett, Director of VASIA, to learn more about the program in recognition of National Family Caregivers Month. LaVon, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Hi, Dee. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, LaVon, tell us first the genesis of the program, why it was started, as well as its mission. I, I love the word genesis because that is exactly what it was. The beginning of a great idea back in 2001. And, you know, some people still remember Franciscan Hammond currently as the former St. Margaret. And that's actually where the idea originated. N-E-R, there was a high number of seniors presenting incapacitated without decision makers. And so big salute to the president of the hospital at that time, who was Mr. Thomas Grisback, who is retired, but he was one of the, the very proactive presidents and CEOs of that time that said, you know what, I think, I think St. Margaret needs to be a lot more proactive. And I do believe in divine appointment, and that's exactly what happened to him. He met a young lady by the name of Rebecca Pryor out of Indianapolis who had a consulting organization, a consulting firm, uh, but was also very instrumental in the court-appointed special advocates for children organization. And those two brain minds, brain powers, put their ideas together uh, at a dinner, and that's how some of the conversation began to surface as to what if they're was a program that was designed like CASA, but that was targeted for the seniors that were showing up in ER. And um, the, the magic just began to happen from there. So, you know, this thought just came to me. Since it was based at Franciscan Health Hammond, which is on the border of the lovely state of Illinois, I can yep. only imagine the organization serves community members from both states. Would that be correct? That is very correct, The In fact, both campuses, the Hammond campus at the time and Dyer definitely because we do sit on the border. And that was another part of the influx too. 
of individuals because we were the Hammond location and Dyer location actually are and still is the 911 for a lot of the skilled care facilities that sit on the border or that are close to the border in Illinois. Definitely. We're speaking with LaVon Jarrett, Director of the Volunteer Advocates for Seniors and Incapacitated Adults, or VASIA program, now based at the Franciscan Health Dyer location. So VASIA, as we've shared, is a volunteer program. So take a moment to talk about the volunteers that give of their time, their talents, and their resources to help serve seniors and incapacitated adults in our community. Sure. Um, remarkable people. Uh, we call them angels. We we have acronyms for these wonderful folks. The experience ranges from retired teachers to social workers to caregivers to CNAs. This is a rich pool of experience, and we're we're always so honored to have people that just want to do it. A lot of the times, what we're noticing is the motivation behind the interest is that they're caregivers already or they have an aged person within their family that they're seeing some things happen and they want to be a better resource for them. Some are doing it in the name of uh, deceased loved ones and they want to kind of continue a legacy of advocacy. The experience level is, is phenomenal and the commitment level. Our volunteers do have to be 21 because we love to partner with the local colleges and uh, our, we have a very strong relationship with the Indiana University Northwest, my alma mater, School of Social Work, they are phenomenal with connecting us with bachelor level and master's level social services students that eventually just stay with us. So the level and the experience of our volunteers is a blessing because of the nature of the decisions that they're going to be making. We do need complex thinkers when when necessary uh, and those that just have a heart to give. There is a background check that is required. Can you talk a little bit about that training that goes into this? Because it's not that, hey, I raise my hand and I say, you know, I want to volunteer in the name of a loved one, uh, for instance. But there is some extensive training that goes into this as well, because there's a lot that you need to know, correct? Correct. (laughs) And thank you for mentioning the background check, because, yes, that is definitely a big part of the criteria, too. And the training, you must continue, you must complete what we've grown to actually offer is not just in-person training. And and back in the day, D, when I first started, Mm -hmm. we did 40 hours. Wow. And 40 hours was literally like almost three weeks of training. And uh, that would be probably a couple days a week, evenings after work. And now we've kind of morphed that into modernizing it and making it a little bit more attractive because we also know that people work and have families. So we've kind of condensed that in-person experience, but with COVID hit, we really had to change some things and we adapted the virtual option. That has just been probably one of our biggest successes to actually get people to attend virtually. So that is a new option that we offer. Those sessions are not 10 sessions. We do six sessions. Um, and they are on the platform of Microsoft Teams, and we, we really look forward to, to we have a very tight training component and structure and agenda that concludes and kind of includes every part of a decision that we, from our experience and from what changes in our world, what we think our volunteers will face. So there's a night where we completely just give the night to the court. We honor our probate commissioner, our current probate commissioner, we love him so, uh, Commissioner Benjamin Ballou, 
that sits under the Honorable Judge Bruce Parent, who oversees our program. He makes his presence at a session, and he just kind of tells the volunteer the perspective of the court, their responsibilities, the Indiana Code, kind of breaks that down. Then we talk about privacy, HIPAA compliance, pretty very big for us because we do have to protect the information of our clients. Then we do talk about resources, ending of life, healthcare decisions. We have a wonderful group of trainers that are nurses. And so we we actually have one who has put together such a wonderful, detailed training component that talks about all the medical decisions, gives visual cues. It's, It's an amazing training. And then we do ending of life. We have a local hospice care provider that gives all kind of resources. And so it, it is it is an excellent training. And it's for free. You get all of this information for free. And what we tell our volunteers in the training is that you you can use this information for your client, but it's also beneficial for your families or friends. So pass the information along. So yeah, it, it, it is an excellent training, but the training must be completed in order for you to be considered uh, a candidate to be sworn in as a as an official VASTIA volunteer agent. So, yeah, it's, it's an excellent training. So, Levine, we're speaking to you today in recognition of National Hospice and Palliative Care Month as well as National Family Caregivers Month. And you think you kind of answered my next question, and that is what about a loved one that is serving in the capacity of a caregiver that's just looking for additional information, not necessarily that they are in the position to volunteer to be an advocate for someone else in the community, but they just need help with information. And, and I should share with you that I myself am a caregiver for my grandfather. And when he came to our home, It was a bit overwhelming, to say the least. You know, we didn't know the who, we didn't know what, we didn't know where, anything. And it sounds like if we had been a part of this training, some of those bumpy roads that we we went down early on, we would not have gone through them had we had the access to the training. And and it's still uh, difficult for us, uh, to be honest. But, you know, what about those caregivers? Can they come in and be a part of the training just so that they can equip and prepare themselves? Yes. Yes, T. That that's actually one of another uh, arm and leg of community uh, involvement that we want to present to the community is making sure that you don't have to commit to being a Vasia volunteer. It's it's the information is out there to share with the fast track trainings. It's what we call those too. That's another option that we've started to adapt with the training program within itself, and that's a half a day training. Where we're doing, it's fast track though. It is pretty fast. We're going through uh, some of the key components of the training for anyone that would want to participate. We actually had our area one on aging case managers attend our last fast track training and a couple other individuals, just like you said, just for general knowledge, Mm -hmm. just to know what's out there, what's changed, what resources, because there is a lot that's changing within the guardianship community and other options out there for for families to really use least restrictive things, such as supported decision-making. There are so many things that the state of Indiana is really looking at, and VASTI is a part of it. So we love to filter out that information through the training. We're speaking with LaVon Jarrett, Director of the Volunteer Advocates for Seniors and Incapacitated Adults, or VASIA program, now based at the Franciscan Health Dyer location.
So we talked about Vasia's volunteers, but let's take a moment to talk about the program participants. If a friend or neighbor is concerned about a community member that may not have an advocate or even someone is in need, how can they do so? How can they get in contact with your organization? That's great. So we are very proud and happy to be partnering with our Lake County Adult Protective Services, and we have a strong agreement with them. This way, we can filter through individuals within the community. When we were first originated, and and for quite some time, we were only taking referrals from institutions, hospitals, nursing homes, facilities. We partnered with Adult Protective so that we can start targeting another group, and that's the community within itself. So I always advise people, your first entity to contact is Adult Protective Services. Adult Protective moves on, does the, of course, what they do best, wellness checks, just making sure that the person has the resources and capacity. If there is a question of capacity, Adult Protective Services does assist in that way. I can't fully put the responsibility on them because it is case by case, but that would be my first recommendation to involve us if there's a community member needing services. So as we've shared, the program recruits, trains, and supervises community volunteers to serve as the guardians. Volunteers are sworn in and appointed by the Lake County Superior Court. Now, I understand that you guys are so excited because you have another graduating class coming up. Can you tell us about that? Yes, we are super duper excited. We do continue. We do try to hold swearing in ceremonies at least twice a year. um, And we're going to be doing that again this year. And these are folks that actually attended our fall training and the individuals that are going to be completing the fast track training. And what happens in that swearing in ceremony is they actually take an oath, a volunteer oath to, by statement, and it's line upon line, they raise their right hands. And and we're so blessed to be able to do our ceremonies within the courtroom of our probate commissioner. And so he, he swears them in, they take the oath, and then we give them a pen just to mark the day as being such a special day that they are officially Vastia volunteer agent. And what we pride ourselves in is letting them know the value that they're going to be adding at that ceremony. They're given a gift and a certificate of participation and completion for completing the training. And then from that point, we vet them for a case. We're very mindful that once a person has been sworn in, Sometimes circumstances changes and people are not available. We, we're very sensitive to that. And then sometimes people are ready to get going. And so we do have our volunteer coordinator, Francisca Mendoza, that makes sure that the person is assigned a case whenever they're ready. And it is based on where the person lives. We're mindful of that. If they have a sensitivity for someone that's dying, we're mindful of that as well. So we take all of those things into account for case assignment after they're sworn in. And finally, LaVon, you've shared so much information for community members in Northwest Indiana. Um, For anyone that's listening to us right now that would like to find out more information or they have expressed an interest, where can they go? Call me directly. My number is 219-933-7907. It's always best to just kind of conversate and make sure that this is an experience that they want to have, if it's a good fit. And if they are interested, we set up an appointment for them to come and meet our staff. We have a wonderful team. Uh, Barbara L. Melendez is our manager. Francisca Mendoza, who I mentioned before, is our volunteer coordinator. And Mr. Brian Drummond is our VASIA specialist, also social worker. 
So the volunteer, the prospect will come in and we'll interview and we'll talk to the person and just make sure the experience is the best for them. So, yeah, give me a call. LaVon Jarrett is the director of the Volunteer Advocates for Seniors and Incapacitated Adults based at Franciscan Health Dyer. LaVon, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you, Dee. Thank you so much. In continuing our conversations, recognizing National Hospice and Palliative Care Month, we turn now to a local organization that works to preserve dignity and aging by helping seniors remain in their homes and in charge of their health care decisions for as long as possible. One common issue is that families lack guidance throughout the course of their loved one's end-of-life experience, including emotional and anticipatory grief. Erica Kirkus is the Volunteer Services Coordinator for VNA Hospice NWI. She's here with us today to talk about the services her organization provides right here in the region. Erica, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. No problem. So, Erica, as I shared on my opening, as we continue to observe National Hospice and Palliative Care Month, we wanted to speak with your organization to raise awareness about hospice and palliative care. For those that may be unfamiliar, please tell us about your organization as well as the services that VNA Hospice NWI provides. We provide um, end-of-life care for um, at all people, um, regardless of their ability to pay. We're a not-for-profit hospice, and we um, provide hospice and palliative care. We also are our Meals on Wheels provider in um, Porter County. Um, we have a medical alert button. We provide uh, grief support services to the community, um, both through our Phoenix Center and our grief support program. And then we also have, we are the only um, level five provider of the We Honor Veterans Program in Northwest Indiana. Wow. So, so tell us more about the We Honor Veterans Program. The We Honor Veterans Program is a national partnership between the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization and the VA, and it works to educate hospice staff and volunteers on issues that may be affecting veterans at the end of life because it recognizes and we recognize that veterans can have unique needs at the end of life. So through this program, we can offer education to our staff and volunteers, but we can also offer services to the community and veterans out in the community, not just on our services, but anybody who might need something. So we do that through honoring the veterans that come onto our services for their military service where we recognize them, um, give them a few keepsakes that their family can have after their loved one passes. But we also do events in the community like our Porter County Stand Down that occurred over the summer. And then we'll be doing those again in 2023, both in Valparaiso and in Crown Point. So, you know, Erica, people aren't well versed on hospice and palliative care until they absolutely have to get into it to look for it. And in that moment, they are probably already in the midst of a crisis. It's a very heavy burden of caregiving to then step out and start finding the resources that they need. And it seems to me there is a lack of public awareness around care services that are available. And as I have been open with many before, I am a caregiver. In some days, I felt like I was literally drowning because I really did not know where to turn, what questions to ask, or even to whom I should address my questions and concerns. So how would you recommend that Northwest Indiana community members prepare themselves in the event that they would need hospice and or palliative care services? I would say just 
think about what you would like the end of your life to be like. And if you would want to be in a position to be um, super stressed and thinking about these things, start asking questions now. Um, Reach out to hospice organizations. Our VNA team is incredibly helpful and approachable. You can give us a call even if you don't need end-of-life care right now. Um, you can give us a call at any time to talk to any member of our care team, our intake specialists, our social workers, our chaplains. We're available to answer any of the questions that you have if you're wanting to start preparing for what you might want to have happen with you and or for your loved ones at the end of life. We're speaking with Erica Kirkis, Volunteer Services Coordinator for VNA Hospice NWI. So, Erica, in preparation for our conversation today, I took a look at the mission of the organization and I found this statement, quote, We believe in a patient-centered approach where your loved one is in charge, end quote. I can only imagine that, and I can only imagine that that has to be refreshing for not only the clients, but also for the loved ones, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it's they're the one, you know, driving the car, basically. So, and our overarching mission statement for our whole whole organization is making best days possible. So we really empower our staff and our volunteers to find ways to help make best days possible for the people on our services um, in any way that we can do that, whether it's thanking them for their military service or bringing them, you know, picking a flower that they see on the side of the road when they're coming to visit. Something like that is just so impactful, these these little things. Sometimes it's big things, but just making best days possible is kind of um, everything that we try to do for our patients and their families. Great. And on that note of making those best days possible, can you kind of explain or unpack what exactly does a hospice nurse do? Our hospice nurses serve as case managers, our RNs serve as case managers. Um, So they kind of are the ones steering the boat for all of our care teams. So our care team would include our social workers, chaplains, home health aides, bereavement coordinator, and volunteers. And they are the ones kind of doing a lot of the communication with the the, um, patients and the families. They're doing that care um, at home as well and managing medications with the help of the doctor and all of those things. So the hospice nurse is really a key piece to the whole care team. He or she's the one kind of leading the whole team. So once again, Erica, you know, in my own experience, as well as in my research and preparing for our conversation today, um, I've learned that there are many misconceptions about hospice care. And documented in a recent survey, it states that nearly one third of participants indicated that they believe hospice, quote unquote, intentionally hastens death and the dying process. But that's not true, correct? That is not true. No. One thing that we kind of say in response to that is that you're not you're not hastening death you're not doing things like that you're you're changing what you're hoping for for your loved one or for yourself so you know and that can be pain management or just kind of having a peaceful transition from changing those um, curative measures and the pain of like chemotherapy and all of that stuff just changing what you hope for for yourself and for your loved one. Great, great. And you know what, Erica, I cannot let you leave without sharing this information. For anyone that's listening to us right now and they have questions because they may be in the position to need to find care for their loved ones or they may themselves need care, how can they get more information about your organization? 
Absolutely. You can um, visit our website at www.vnanwi.org, or you can give us a call at 219-462-5195. Erica Kirkus is the Volunteer Services Coordinator for VNA Hospice NWI. Erica, thank you for spending time with us today as we continue to observe National Hospice and Palliative Care Month. No problem. November is National Family Caregivers Month as well as National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. The Alzheimer's Association Greater Indiana Chapter provides services in 73 Indiana counties. Indiana is home to 110,000 Hoosiers living with Alzheimer's disease and 216,000 unpaid Indiana caregivers. The organization's mission is to eliminate Alzheimer's disease through the advancement of research to provide and enhance care and support for all affected and to reduce the risk of dementia through the promotion of brain health. So we turn now to Julie Collins, Northwest Indiana Program Manager with the Alzheimer's Association Greater Indiana Chapter to talk about the resources that are available to help community members affected by the disease. Julie, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you for having me, Dee. Julie, if you will, give us a bit of the history of the Alzheimer's Association. The Alzheimer's Association has been around a number of years, and it was created to to ensure that we are providing support to all of our communities across the country. We um, offer research opportunities for anyone interested in partaking and advocacy, um, and we also do fundraising. So as I shared in my opening, the month of November is dedicated to raising awareness of Alzheimer's disease. So if you will, share what the organization does for community members right here in Northwest Indiana living with dementia or Alzheimer's. Absolutely. So we like to make sure that all of our communities know that there are a number of resources available. We provide education, including the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's, effective communication strategies, managing money programs. And we do this in any organization that would be interested in learning more, including churches, libraries, civic organizations. And we also provide support groups. We believe that supporting our caregivers is vital to their health, the health of their loved ones. And our support groups, we have four that take place in Northwest Indiana currently. Our latest that we just added is in Gary, Indiana at St. Timothy's. And we have one in Michigan City, in Valparaiso, as well as Dyer. And those are just a few of the things we do. And our helpline is available 24-7. And we have called our helpline. Do you know anything about it? No, no. Okay. So our helpline can be reached by calling one 800 272-3900. And this is actually where you can learn about where our programs are taking place. And you can also register our support groups by calling. Again, that's 800-272-3900. And you can call for any reason. Let's say your loved one just got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You walk out of the doctor's office. You're feeling very overwhelmed. You're not sure where to go. You can call the Alzheimer's Association. And there's never a charge. And we'll be there to help. And we have master's level clinicians waiting for your call, and they can kind of walk you through the first steps of what you need to do to help you with the diagnosis and what needs to be done next. Everything from talking to an elder law attorney, care planning, deciding what will happen in your loved one's journey, 
And then you can also call. Sometimes people with dementia don't love to take showers. So you can even call and say, my mom hasn't taken a shower in a week. I'm not sure what to do. How do I get her to take a shower? And our professionals can give advice on that. So truly any question you have relating to Alzheimer's or dementia, or if you're just a community member who's heard a little bit about it and wants more information, feel free to call. That's what we're here for. And we want to make sure that um, you don't feel like you're walking journey alone because it could be very isolating and difficult. We're speaking with Julie Collins, Northwest Indiana Program Manager with the Alzheimer's Association, Greater Indiana Chapter. Julie, I'm so glad that you shared the information about the resources that are available because let's be real, caregiving, while it is essential, it can become very exhausting, both emotionally as well as physically and financially for community members. So let's just shift for a moment, Julie, if it's okay with you. Given the current trajectory of the disease, the number of Americans living with Alzheimer's is expected to double by 2050. And looking at disparities in health for a moment, I saw recent data that revealed that people of color are twice is like to develop the disease and that women account for two-thirds of all people living with Alzheimer's. So what is the organization doing to help bridge the gap for community members here in Northwest Indiana to gain access to health care providers to be tested? And what about Alzheimer's awareness within the community as well? Thank you for asking that question. That's very important to us that all communities in the Hispanic community 1.5 times more likely. And this is really unacceptable. So number one, we need to make sure people feel comfortable going to their physicians. So you do need, if you're having symptoms, um, you can go to our website, ALD.org, and you can learn about the signs and symptoms, the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's. And once you know those, if you're having some of those symptoms and you're just uncomfortable with what you're feeling, and but again, if you're not comfortable going to the doctor, it's important to take that first step. And I always recommend people write down what they're feeling. Take a, make a little journal or a notebook and maybe that'll, you know, help you feel a little more comfortable. And once you get to the doctor, if you don't feel like they're listening, just say, you know, I'm really having trouble. What what can I do to, you know, be tested? What can I do to make sure I don't have Alzheimer's disease? Um, and we also like to do education within the communities. We work with churches. Um, we have a relationship with AME churches. And Again, education programs are available. We love to do education programs in the black communities, Hispanic communities, and we also offer programs in Spanish. And I did want to mention, Dee, if you don't mind, mm, our helpline always has a Spanish-speaking person available, and we translate over 200 languages. So we definitely try to reach all communities. And one problem we know exists is um, with this disparity, we don't have enough research on diverse communities to truly know um, the reasons why, you know, they're suffering from Alzheimer's at a great greater number. And so we have um, trialmatch.org is a place you can go to learn about enrolling in a study. So we take healthy brains, not healthy brains, and um, you can sign up. So if a study becomes available that you might sit with, um, we would love that. And it's not always a study about medication. There might always be a also be a study just about cognitive abilities. So, and we always tell people, if you're uncomfortable with the history of the black community and um, research, we just like people to know, if you decide to join a study, we encourage you, if you're uncomfortable at any point, to leave the study, you know, or talk to the researchers. That's very important. So, um, 
And again, with our latest support group in Gary, we um, we hope to reach the Black community. Um, we encourage everyone to come out who feels like they might need help. And we do work with different organizations in the community to make sure that, um, again, all communities are being reached because if people don't know these resources are available, um, then they certainly can't reach out for the help that they might need and benefit from. That's great. And I think that it is important that you did share regarding the research that's being done, particularly for people of color, the importance of you sharing that if at any point that community members are uncomfortable or feel unsafe or just don't want to participate in the research anymore, that they have that ability to excuse themselves. And given the history, given the fear, given all of that, that's great for community members to hear that. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And again, we need more research. There are things, you know, if there are things that go along with having Alzheimer's sometimes if you like are, you know, just, you know, our latest research shows when you, if you have a little bit of a risk, there are certain things that might help reduce the possibility of getting it. And that could include exercise, eating well and sleeping, getting enough sleep. So those are things we encourage everyone to do. Simple things that might change, you know, when you get Alzheimer's or if you get Alzheimer's. So again, more research is being done on that. But again, eating well, exercising, and getting enough sleep. Those might be very helpful. So, Julie, during National Family Caregivers and National Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month, the Alzheimer's Association is highlighting six essential terms that are important for Alzheimer's and dementia caregivers to know. Can you share what a few of those need-to-knows are? My favorite is to know that we don't want anyone to be afraid to reach out for help. Reaching out for help is probably the biggest step you'll ever take because I don't know about you, but for me, I'm a person, it's, it is hard to reach out for help, but if you don't reach out for help, you won't be able to get it. So talking to someone, going to a support group, and again, going to the support group is sometimes difficult to take that first step. So I encourage people again to call the helpline 1-800-272-3900. Find out where their support groups are because that might be a great place where you can share your experiences, your feelings, because often people feel so socially isolated that they don't have anyone to talk to, and it just builds, the stress builds, and it becomes more difficult each day to deal with it, and sometimes caregivers end up sick, and we want to make sure our caregivers are feeling appreciated, loved, and that they have a place to go for safety and you know, a safe place to talk as well. Again, getting the educational programs, that might help a little bit as well. And finally, how can community members gain access to more resources available through the Alzheimer's Association? I mean, you've shared so much regarding support groups, regarding gaining access to research. You provide contact information for members of the community to reach Alzheimer's Association, or even if they wanted to just speak to you directly. Could you provide that contact information? Of course, yes. Our helpline is 1-800-272-3900. And it is available 24-7. We never close. And um, I do work in Northwest Indiana. And if you'd like to contact me directly, my number is 219-472-1451. And my email is jccollins at alz.org. And you can visit our website anytime as well. And that is www.alz.org. And I did want to mention we have a wonderful resource called the Community Resource Finder, and that's fueled by AARP as well as the Alzheimer's Association. And that can be found at alz.org slash crf, 
And if you're looking for resources to help you on the journey, you can go to the Community Resource Finder, and here you will be able to put your zip code in and the service you're looking for. So if you're looking for an elder law attorney, home health care, transportation, a neurologist, so you can go there and find someone in your local area, a provider, and that might help make the journey easier as well. And Dee, I did want to mention with the holidays coming up, um, I hope all caregivers will take a break, ask for help. I think asking for help and being able to step out of their home for a few minutes, yeah. if you're the primary caregiver, that's one of the things we always encourage people to do is um, get someone to come in, even if it's just a few hours a week, so you can go out and get your hair done or go to the grocery store. Because with Alzheimer's, caring for someone with Alzheimer's could be more difficult than um, other diseases just because the caregiver doesn't really get that chance to turn their brain off and just take a break because they're always worried if their loved one's going to roam, um, if they're going to become confused. So just being able to decompress for a minute, even if you don't know you need it, once you do it, you might realize that it was the healthiest thing you could do for yourself because you just need that minute to, you know, reset your brain and have a break so you can just take a breath. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, sometimes you might not think a caregiver will do um, a job as good as you're doing, but I can assure you if you feel comfortable, you get the right person, interview you them, interview them, taking that step and just leaving your loved one for a few minutes or a few hours will be um, a very healthy thing for you to do. Julie Collins is the Northwest Indiana Program Manager for the Alzheimer's Association, Greater Indiana Chapter. Julie, thank you for spending time with us, sharing information about your organization on Regionally Speaking. Thank you so much, Steve, for the opportunity. And in addition to all of the information shared in our interview, the Alzheimer's Association wanted to be sure to share the 10 absolutes which the organization finds one of their most helpful pieces of information for day-to-day caregiver stress. Number one, never argue, instead agree. Number two, never reason, instead divert. Number three, never shame, instead distract. Number four, never lecture, instead reassure. Number five, never say remember, instead reminisce. Number six, never say I told you, instead repeat. Number seven, never say you can't, instead say do what you can. Number eight, never demand or command, instead ask or model. Number nine, never condescend, instead encourage or praise. And finally, number 10, never force, instead reinforce. And again, for more information on the Alzheimer's Association, you can visit www.alz.org. While discussing finances can be taboo, Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor Greg Hammer is looking to change the narrative this holiday season by encouraging families to have critical financial conversations. Why? Because having financial conversations can bring families closer And holiday time is one of the few times of the year that the entire family is all together. Greg will explain the benefits of having family financial discussions and provide us with the topics you should cover with your loved ones. Greg, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. 
Uh, thanks for having me, Dee. Hi, Greg. So it's hard to believe that the holidays are here. And as I shared in my opening, you recommend taking some time during the holidays to have financial conversations with the rest of your family. Can you explain why? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's very important to have these crucial conversations uh, with your loved ones for a variety of reasons, you know, from just keeping harmony, you know, you're hearing it from you first and, and keeping family members included so they don't feel like outsiders and, you know, making sure your final wishes are met and clear to everybody. And, you know, I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but I feel like 2022 just flew by. And, you know, while it can be difficult to have these conversations, if you don't end up having them and discussing these topics, you know, another year will fly by and before you know it, uh, you're still where you were a year ago. And, you know, daily routines today with juggling work, kids' schedules, it's easy to forget how life is uncertain and until something happens unexpectedly. And, you know, last thing you want to do is be making big decisions or looking at financial documents during a crisis. It's better to have that stuff clear and understand, you know, the wishes moving forward and and everybody being on the same page. That's so true. So for many people, they just want to focus on the fun during the holidays. But you say it's crucial to carve out time despite the festivities. Why is that? And I mean, the biggest thing is it doesn't matter like when you have the financial conversation or when it takes place as long as you have it. But what we do find is, you know, the holidays are typically an opportunity where the extended family is together. You you make point in your calendars, usually work allows for it. And it's one of the few times during the year where everybody's together in the same city, the same state, the same place at the same time, which in today's schedule is not often the case. And it's important, you know, the family members or anyone that you consider a beneficiary be included because keeping them, you know, informed uh, just helps ensure that there's clarity about what your desires are and what your post-life wishes are and and be able to execute them to the best of their ability and and make sure everybody's clear so that uh, there's no confusion or misconceptions. Right, right. So speaking of misconceptions and confusions, uh, when having these conversations, where should the family or point person start the conversation? Well, I think the, the the thing to me that's always been effective and what we utilize here at Hammer Finance Group is just starting with, you know, a way to organize everything that you have, a financial inventory. We use, you know, Family Estate Organizer, and it, it just helps people aggregate. You know, it's surprising, but most people don't even know where all their assets are or how they're located and exactly what type of accounts they are and, you know, where their liabilities are, how to get in a safety deposit box, whether you even have a safety deposit box, you know, where things might be located in the house. So it's not just about taking the inventory, but it's about having, you know, kind of a roadmap for people to follow. I know when people pass away, one of the toughest things that, you know, we go through is, you know, are we thinking of everything? And this is a way to aggregate it. And if you're not comfortable necessarily sharing everything with your kids yet, at least you can tell them, hey, this is where you'll find everything. Right, right. So I heard it's smart to review beneficiary forms, but don't most people keep those updated? Yes. The reason it's so important to update beneficiary forms, especially when you look at work programs like a 401k or various types of ERISA plans, oddly enough, there's a lot of times when third-party administrators change or in the administrative bookkeeping of these companies that beneficiary forms could be lost you know, or misplaced. Um, it's not uncommon to find no beneficiary designations. Also, as you go through and there's life-changing events, 
you know, you add a beneficiary, you lose a beneficiary. These are one of the easiest things to overlook because, you know, you just, you'll get to it and then you forget about it and you don't get to it. So reviewing it um, often identifies things that uh, were just missed. And it's an opportunity to make sure everything is uh, properly designated and you're covering everything you need to, to make sure it goes to, you know, the people you want it to. That's actually incredible, and that's actually great advice. So, Greg, what about retirement and tax planning? Yeah, I mean, the, the third and fourth items to be discussed is the, the planning decisions and tax planning strategies. Financial moves that you make for your house are very specific to you and you know where you're at in your career, as well as you know your financial landscape uh, and what's going on in the market or in the country. And just having conversations with somebody that can help you navigate potential opportunities that you're not aware of to maximize your income or in the state can change with the seasons of your life. And it's good to review these changes on an annual basis. And there's been a ton of tax law changes since the pandemic. And there's a lot of strategies that have now become available that weren't available previously. And things are going to continue to change. Most people, for example, D, aren't aware that the current tax code, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, is going to sunset after 2025, which means we're going to go back to the old tax code in 2026. And you know, the question is, is you know, how relevant is that to your situation? And that's some of the things you need to be investigating because, in my opinion, some of the best tax planning opportunity exists under this current code that likely will go away. Okay, so what should the family or point person include when discussing estate planning? Um, it's it, it's easy to say this, but basically everything, right? Because it's the little things yeah. that sometimes cause the biggest issues. You know, when we look at, uh, you know, a plan including a living will, uh, medical power of attorney, you know, who is it that we want to have making our decisions? But more importantly, you know, what are those decisions? You know, when you have more than one child involved, as an example, Generally, we find that not all the kids are going to agree on the best measures to take for mom and dad. And it's nothing that is, you know, misguided in their intention. They just feel that different lengths should be taken. Well, if you clarify, it makes it a lot easier on the kids. And then there's the things that, you know, you don't think about. Like, is there a special piece of jewelry? Mom's wedding ring. Who's going to get that, as an example? And help discuss that sooner and resolve it. And, you know, while we want to protect our privacy, you know, having a, Secure place or storage for passwords is crucial. How do they get to those? You know, if somebody becomes incapacitated, where can I find those passwords? How do I gain access to the accounts that, that we need? Because a lot of these programs won't allow you access after the fact. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, that Apple can't retrieve passwords or open up your phone. So any last photos the family took will be lost forever. And you know, a lot of little things that, you know, you're just not aware of until it's too late. And when your family gets to see up close how you've worked hard for them and how much you want to protect them, they kind of see the planning in a different light, really admire the fact that you're clarifying your legacy and that it's, you know, it's a gift in and of itself. Okay, Greg, so you mentioned the pandemic earlier and, you know, we are still in the pandemic. Actually, we're in what they are calling the triple-demic, which means that some people are just still not comfortable traveling. So what if families aren't able to be together in person? Well, it's crazy that I'm even going to say this, Dee, because I'm probably the most technology-adverse person if, if, if you know that exists <laughs> today. Well, but, you know, one of the things that the pandemic did do is it kind of forced me out of my comfort zone and, and many, many, many other people in terms of how you can use technology. And, you know, using things like Zoom, 
FaceTime, you know, being able to communicate in those types of methods have, you know, eliminated that gap. And there's still options for them to be included in the conversation in an environment that is comfortable. You know, I always joke, you know, at the beginning, the, the most technology-challenged person in the country, you know, I never even used to be on any of these websites. And our, our, our company is, we, we did video, you know, presentations and you know I've done more zooms than I ever thought I would in my lifetime so there is that opportunity to to take advantage of technology and get together in that manner so finally Greg it's one thing to actually discuss this in theory and it's another to put it in action and let's be real having this conversation for many people can be considered taboo so do you have any suggestions for those relatives who aren't on board with even having this conversation yeah, I mean, it's I, I I agree with you 100%. Some people think that the best way to address it is to ignore it. You know, we don't want to talk about it, otherwise it'll happen. And, you know, we're we're afraid to face that because we don't want to face the inevitable. But the the big challenge is is it is inevitable, right? It is something that is going to occur. You know, there there are this this is not an if thing. These are win events. And keeping that in mind, there's a few things. You know, decide what you want to achieve. You know, if you don't do it now, it's going to be that much more difficult on your beneficiaries, on the people that, you know, you're going to leave uh, the, the well, for lack of a better word, the mess, right, to, to clean up. You know, and recognize um, that it is going to be an emotional conversation and it's not easy to have. And, you know, be very transparent about it, but be gentle, you know, with all the family members because everybody will think differently. Everybody will act differently in these conversations. It's just important to listen to each other and, you know, as well as talk through the things that are very relevant and very important to get resolution. Greg, you know what? I thank you so much for joining us to help us to begin to foster that intentional conversation that needs to be had around the dinner table. So before everyone passes the pumpkin pie, before they pass the stuffing and the turkey, I think that it's great that you were able to join us to have this conversation. Greg Hammer is the president and CEO of the Hammer Financial Group. Greg, as always, thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me, Andy. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. I'm your host, Dee Dotson. And thanks to our guests, LaVon Jarrett, Director of the Vazia Program with Franciscan Health, Erica Kirkis, Coordinator for Volunteer Services for VNA Hospice NWI, the Alzheimer's Association Northwest Indiana Program Manager, Julia Collins, and Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor, Greg Hammer. And we'll be back with you next week.